welcome to the Christian Life Austin Wednesday evening message. Tonight's message is entitled Fight of Your Life by guest pastor Jason Bentley from High Point Church in Seattle, Washington. So let's stand together. I want to go into the the word of the Lord. And if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter number two and We're going to begin reading with verse number 2, Nehemiah 2 and verse number 2. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation just for the sake of clarity and understanding, but I'm excited about what God has for me to share with you. It's it's a great message. It's a great message, and I know this because today I I preached it to myself in the room, and and, uh, I responded to my own altar call. I ended up sowing a $1,000 seed into my own ministry, and so I was excited about getting here tonight. Nehemiah chapter number 2, and verse number 2, it reads, So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. And I replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad? For Jerusalem, the city where my ancestors are buried, is in ruins, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. The king asked, well, how can I help you? With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, if it please the king, and if you're pleased with me, your servant, send me to Jerusalem to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. The king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked, How long will you be gone? When will you return? And after I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of my arrival, they were very displeased. They were ticked off that someone had come to help the people of Israel. And from this passage of scripture, I want to talk to you for just a few moments this evening on the subject, the fight of your life. The fight of your life. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this opportunity to gather together. God, I believe that none of us are here by accident or by circumstance. You have brought us all together from various walks of life, past experiences. You've brought us here because you want to speak to us, you want to encourage us, you want to inspire us. And we know that what you have before us is fantastic. These last few months, the last few seasons has been incredible here in this church and in our own lives. And we look for greater things. Prepare us tonight for the road ahead. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. God bless you. Please be seated. One thing that I forgot to do that I I would love to have the opportunity to do is introduce you to to my family. Um, My family couldn't be here with me, but if you wouldn't mind putting their picture there up on the screen, that's uh, Mia Esposa, my wife. Su nombre es Alejandra. Her name's Alejandra. The white people call her Alex. And those are my two boys. I'm missing them terribly. Put up the next one. These are another uh, shot of my two boys that was just taken, just taken yesterday. That's Dylan on the right. He's six. And that's Micah on the left. And he is two. 
And by looking at these amazing pictures, you're probably thinking Pastor Jason is like the perfect family, lives in the perfect world. Before you go there, let me show you this next picture, the final one. You'll see we're just real people. Yeah, that's, uh, that's baby Micah. So he's having some fun while daddy's away. Paz de Cristo, Dios los bendiga. Yo tengo una palabra para los hermanos y las hermanas. Viva la raza. Gloria a Dios. So you've met my family. You saw my boys. And they're all boy. They're always getting into fights. They're hitting each other. They're poking each other in the eyeball. And... And I'm getting pretty acquainted to a lot of fighting uh, around my house. In fact, as I was thinking today about this idea of the, the fight of your life, uh, immediately one of my favorite Bible characters sprang to mind. So I went to my Bible, started, started searching for him, and, and I couldn't locate him. So I got out my Strong's Concordance and I... Uh, I looked there to no avail. As hard as I tried, I could not locate the passage where we could focus on Rocky Balboa. But he certainly, if he's not in the Bible, probably needs to be because he's always in the fight of his life. Whether it's Apollo Creed or Clubber Lang or Ivan Drago or by the time you get to Rocky Six when he's duking it out in the nursing home, he's always, always in the fight of his life. We, every time we see Rocky, he, he's an underdog and he had the most unique strategy when it came to fighting. He would, he would get in the ring and he would let himself become a human punching bag. Whoever he was facing would just absolutely wear him out. And you'd always think that he's getting ready to drop over. Surely he can't take one more punch. He can't handle any more punishment. And he would always just absorb the punches and, and just get absolutely beat up. He'd just let himself be a human punching bag and then... By about the ninth or tenth round, when his opponent was wore out, he'd then manage this amazing comeback, and, and he'd win it all. And I, I have learned over the course of my life that this approach to fighting, this approach to life is really very dumb. It's really dumb. <laughs> And it only works in the movies. In fact, I'm not much of a fighter. Maybe I've been in a few fights in the course of my life. I have a really elementary understanding of it. But, but to me, I think fighting is really all about like not getting hit. <laughs> fighting 101, don't get hit. So I think that the rumble in the jungle is probably a better example of what we're supposed to do whenever we're in the fight of our life. Muhammad Ali faced George Foreman in the jungles of Africa 
to see who would be the heavyweight champion of the world. And at this point in time, George Foreman was a fearsome fighter. He was not the, he was not the uh, late night star of infomercials. He was a very fearsome fighter. And Muhammad Ali, at this point in time in his career, had had some ups and downs and, and was kind of struggling, but they, they met together in Africa to see who was the better fighter, to see who would be the champion. And they got into the ring, and George Foreman came after Ali through his strongest punches and delivered his most powerful blows. But Muhammad Ali understood that that if I'm going to come out on top, if I'm going to win the fight of my life, I, I can't stand toe-to-toe. I, I've got to do something. And so he, he kind of fell back on the ropes and he would move and, and dodge and, and parry and, and, and spent the entire fight on the ropes just absorbing, glancing punches and moving around. And finally George Foreman wore himself out Muhammad Ali delivered some winning punches and it was forever known as the rope-a-dope. The rope-a-dope. And uh, as we think about Rocky or Muhammad Ali or even Nehemiah, who we read about here in Nehemiah chapter number 2, we see one very important truth that I do not want you to miss here tonight, and that is very simply, enemies are unavoidable. Enemies are unavoidable. When Nehemiah determined that he was going to live a life of significance, when he decided that he was going to do something great for God, the Bible says that he had enemies immediately. And that he started getting attacked right away. And I know that many of you can relate to this. The moment you let your family and friends know that you were going to be a Christian. And you were going to begin to do what was right. You would think that everyone in your world would be excited about change and about transformation. You would think that they would be all on your team. Just rooting you on to to better things. But... What happened? They probably turned on you and you started getting criticized. You started getting attacked. It's because whenever any of us say we're going to step out away from the rest of the crowd, we're no longer going to go with the flow, we're not going to look like the rest of the world, we're not going to fit in with the prevailing culture, we're going to be the men and women of God that he died for us to be. Whenever we make that kind of a decision, enemies are going to come out of the woodwork to try to oppose us. Why? Life and Satan are cruel. There's a reason that Jesus said that the thief comes not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. Satan is cruel. And, and in addition to Satan, there, there are other enemies as well. So no matter how hard we try, we cannot avoid confrontation when we embark on a journey to accomplish something or to pursue a life of significance. Again, you're going to be attacked. There's going to always be things that are taking shots at you. And if you're waiting until things get easier, and if you're waiting until the fight dies down, 
to have a relationship with God or to do a work for God, you'll never do anything. Because enemies are unavoidable. And so the key is, Muhammad Ali had it right when he headed into the rumble in the jungle. The key is to prepare a strong defense. Prepare a strong defense. When you are in the fight of your life, when you determine my life's going to matter, when you determine I'm going to serve God, I'm going to live for God. I'm going to be a bringer. I'm going to share the good news with the people that I work with and the ones that I go to school with. When, when you make that choice and you begin to face attack and when you begin to deal with enemies, you've got to look for the punches that are coming and then you've got to learn how to avoid them. And don't miss this, but most often the difference between winning and losing, succeeding or failing, is just a strong defense. A strong defense. And since all of us here tonight are going to face a battle of some kind, we're going to go through trials and adversities in some way. I'm going to, over the next few moments, using the story of Nehemiah, I'm going to highlight to you three punches that are coming your way somewhere along the line. Maybe you're already facing them now. Perhaps you'll face them tomorrow. But I want to identify for you tonight three punches that are coming your way. And the strong defense that you absolutely need to ensure that you always come out on top and that you keep doing what God wants you to do. Nehemiah decided, I'm going to leave what is familiar. I'm going to step out from what is comfortable. And I'm going to go and I'm going to do something for God. I'm not going to wait on someone else to do it. The walls of my beloved city have been torn down. They've been burned with fire. I feel the call of God to do something about it. So I'm going to go. And he goes. We read that two men, Sanballat and Tobiah, fiercely opposed that decision. They were bothered. They were uncomfortable by it. So the first punch that they threw in Nehemiah's fight was that of ridicule. In the days ahead, if you're trying anything significant in your life, expect ridicule. This is what it says in Nehemiah 2 and verse number 19. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem heard of our plan, they mocked us contemptuously. They ridiculed us. They made fun of us. They employed the very most basic schoolyard bully tactic. We're going to apply peer pressure. You're not conforming. You're not doing what everyone else is doing. You're making waves. So we're going to gather around you and we're going to shake our heads and we're going to point our finger and we're going to laugh you to scorn. <laughs> Nehemiah, are you kidding you really think that you're going to rebuild those walls? 
You really think that Jerusalem is going to be the great city that it once was? You're out of your mind. You're absolutely crazy. Why don't you come back over here? Just do what the rest of us are doing and and, and forget about it. Don't you know that you look like you're crazy? You look like one of those Jesus freaks. You're you're, You're just an embarrassment to this family. You know, it's probably just a phase you're going through, Nehemiah. You'll outgrow it. You're going to look back at one point in time in your life on what you're doing right now, and you're going to be so embarrassed. You're going to review the Instagram pics from this day and you're just going to shake your head and think, what in the world was I thinking? They ridiculed him. And we will be ridiculed. And we will be mocked. And we will be made fun of whenever we say, you know what? I'm not content to just blend in. I want to stand out. So what do we do? What's our defense? We see the answer in Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse number 6. It says, at last the wall was completed to half its height around the entire city. Notice they kept working. Even though ridicule came, Nehemiah and those on board with him, they stayed focused and they kept working. And the wall was completed to half its height around the city. Notice, for the people had worked with enthusiasm. What did they do when ridicule came? What did they do when bullying came? They got even more enthusiastic about what they were doing. Come on, Christian Life Church. When the punch of ridicule comes, just rope-a-dope and block it with some enthusiasm. Just get louder than you ever were. Get more passionate than you ever were. Get more committed than you ever were. Stay more focused than you've ever been. Because the more invested and involved you are in the game the less likely you are to care about the booze from the cheap seats. I just learned over the course of my life when people think that they're going to motivate me or dissuade me using ridicule, I'll look them in the eye as I think about what God's called me to do and I'll ask them the very simple question, you want me to turn down for what? No way. I'm going to keep serving. I'm going to keep giving. I'm going to keep worshiping. I'm going to keep bringing my friends. I'm going to keep making the house of God a priority. I'm going to keep coming on Wednesdays. I'm not turning down for anything. I'm going to keep doing what God's called me to do. The next punch that came that you need to look out for is that of doubt. If ridicule doesn't work, the enemy will always follow it up with some doubt. We see this in Nehemiah 4 and verse number 10. The scripture reads, Then the people of Judah began to complain. The workers are getting tired. And there's so much rubble to be moved. 
We will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. Notice how their thought process and their posture shifted. They went from having the wall half built to now they are doubting themselves. They said, we will never be able to build this wall by ourselves. This is what I've noticed about doubt in my own life. If you, if you try to take doubt on the chin, it will start with you doubting yourself. But it will always end up you doubting God. And that's why just from the beginning, let's just get it established that doubt will knock you out. Doubt will knock you out. If you think you can, or if you think you can't, you're right. So when doubt started to creep in, the enemy comes throwing punches. Nehemiah's in the fight of his life. He dodges ridicule. Here comes doubt. How does he defend himself? We see it in Nehemiah 4 and verse 13. He says, so I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall and the exposed areas. I stationed the people to stand guard by families, armed with swords, spears, and bows. Then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people, and I said to them, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. But from then on, only half my men worked, while the other half stood guard with speared shields, bows, and coats of mail. And then notice, the leaders stationed themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. When doubt started coming into... The life of Nehemiah when the blow of doubt was being rained down on his congregation. The way that they defended themselves, the way that they were able to hang in there and not give up was that they surrounded themselves with supportive people. Notice it said that there were guards that were standing by with families. They, They didn't try to do it alone any longer. They started grouping up. They started coming together and then it said that the leaders came and they stood behind the people. In other words, everyone that was in the fight surrounded themselves with supportive people that were going to encourage them. Hear this tonight, Nehemiah was a great leader because he was a great cheerleader. The most amazing thing, the most inspirational thing that we read that Nehemiah does in this passage was run up and down to all of the people that were doubting themselves and doubting God, running up and down, grouping them up together, saying, hey guys, we can do this. We have a great God. We have a glorious God. Come on, we're going to make it. We're going to do this. 
And so when doubt comes in your life and in my life, we need to block out the doubt by turning up the volume on what God has to say. We're just going to drown out the voice of criticism. We're going to drown out the voice of unbelief. We're going to drown out the doubt that says uh, you're not going to pass the 2,000 barrier. We're going to turn up the volume on what God has to say. So all of that begins to disappear. Why? Why do we need to do this? Because you will believe what you allow to speak to you the most. You will believe what you allow to speak to you the most. If you're allowing friends, family, co-workers, your hairstylist, whoever the case may be, if you're allowing them to speak to you continuously, words of, of unbelief, you'll never do it, you'll never be it, you'll never accomplish it, give it up. It's just a phase. It's just a fad. You might as well stop. Cool your jets. If that's being bombarded into our psyche day in and day out, we're eventually going to believe it. And that is why there is no substitute for godly positive reinforcement. No substitute. In fact, people are like buttons on an elevator. They're going to either take you up or they're going to take you down. So surround yourself with people that are on the same mission as you, that are living out the same purpose as you, that have the same passion as you, and decide that you're going to listen to what they have to say. The world is going to be filled with negativity. That's why I'm going to turn my ear towards God and what He has to say about my life. I'm going to listen to the voice of my pastors who are, who are calling out to me. Keep running. You can make it. You can do this. You can get clean. Your marriage can be saved. You can, you can bounce back from a bankruptcy. You can do it. There's no substitute for godly positive reinforcement. That's why last fall when I went personally through a very dark season in my life, I was very, very very discouraged. I, I encountered a, a tremendous disappointment in my life and it just took the wind out of my sails. In fact, our church, which as Pastor Mitch mentioned, our church that we began about six years ago in our home, we were getting ready to go from being mobile, having church in a school where we have to set up and tear down every week. We were getting ready to move into our own building. This was a really big step for us, an exciting thing. And uh, we had this perfect place, and everything was going so well. Everything was falling together, and then at the last minute, the rug was pulled out from beneath the deal, and it all crashed, and, and it just really took the wind out of my sails. And I was so discouraged, and I was beginning to just be racked and plagued with doubt. Am I really the right man for the job? Should I even be here? Should I, even, should I even try? And as I was, as I was wrestling with doubt, I, I, determined, I determined that what I needed in my life was some, some positive reinforcement. 
that I needed, to, I needed to listen less to that voice of negativity and criticism, and I needed to listen more to what God had to say. And so I'm just telling you what I did. Last fall, <clears throat> I made a playlist. I made a playlist on my iPad. And I, I put on there a song by Carrie Job that says, I know that you are for me. And I listed that song on that playlist like 25 times so that it would just go from that song to that song to that song. And I just, for about a four-month time frame, listened to her singing over and over again. I know that you are for me. I know that you are for me. I know that you will never... Forsake me in my weaknesses. And I'd hear the doubt. You shouldn't do this. Give up, Jason. You're a failure. Get somebody better. And I'd just turn up. I know that you are for me. I know that you are for me. Come on, Christian Life Church. Someone in the house needs to turn up the volume on what God has to say about your life. It's not over. You can live. You can succeed. You can fight another day. And lastly, lastly, the third punch that's coming. If you're going to win the fight of your life, if you're going to be everything God wants you to be, you got to rope-a-dope. Move when... Ridicule comes. You've got to move when doubt comes. And last, you've got to look out for distraction. You've got to look out for distraction. Nehemiah chapter 6. Nehemiah 6 and verse number 1 says this, Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, and the rest of our enemies found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall and that no gaps remained. Almost there. Though we had not yet set up the doors in the gates. They're almost there. Just a few more steps. And they're going to be where they're trying to get to be. So, Sanballat and Geshem sent a message asking me to meet them at one of the villages. In the plain of Ono. <laughs> if that wasn't their first clue, I, I don't know what is. Come hang out with us at oh no. But I realized that they were plotting to harm me. So I replied by sending this message to them. This is what Nehemiah said. He gets ready to rope-a-dope. I'm engaged in a great work. So I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and to meet with you? And four times, four times, the distractions came. They sent the same message. And each time, I gave them the same reply. Distractions are going to come into our life from all different kinds of angles, from many different places, many different sources. Distractions can come dressed up in a very tight dress. Distractions can come dressed up like a lot of extra overtime. Distractions, they come in all different shapes and sizes. 
But hear me, they are tools of our enemy to sidetrack us from what really matters. The last couple of days, I've been talking with Pastor Johnson, and he's been telling me about just the incredible season that you're in. Just how God's been blessing and hundreds of people are coming to know Jesus and the church is growing. You're running out of room. So many amazing things are happening right now. And it would appear as though as we're in this fight together to raise up a mighty testimony to the glory of Jesus Christ here in Austin that we're doing well with our rope adobe. We're not worried about ridicule right now. We're not being phased by doubt right now. But... But the enemy could very easily try to slip in some distractions. Try to try to get us to to get to to get off of, to pull away from some of the things that are making making it work. The prayer, the bringing our friends, just everything it takes to to see the work of God flourish in our community. He's gonna send some distractions. But just like Nehemiah, your reaction to the distraction needs to very simply be shut them down, refocus on the goal. Shut them down, refocus on the goal. That's what he does. They come to him, they're offering distractions. Come meet with us. Let's go here. Let's do this. Let's engage in that. Nehemiah just shuts them down and refocuses on the goal. Shuts them down, refocuses on the goal. And I feel like I should tell someone here tonight facing distractions in your life. Not sure exactly what it is. It's different for all of us. But what you need to do, shut it down, refocus on the goal. Shut it down, refocus on the goal. Come on, rope-a-dope. Shut it down, refocus on the goal. Because what we've got going on here is something special. What's happening here is absolutely life-changing. And we need to stay in the fight. We need to keep sharp. Because God's making champions out of every single one of us. And I love, I love how the story ends. I love how it ends. Nehemiah, he's in the fight of his life. And the enemy's throwing his best punches, ridicule, doubt, distractions. But Nehemiah 6 and verse 15 shares, So on October the 2nd, the wall was finished. Just 52 days after we had begun. And when our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened And they were humiliated. And they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. With the help of our God. I just want to speak some hope and some life and some inspiration and some encouragement over you and over your family and over this house. What God is doing here is going to be seen to the very end and our hands are going to be raised. Come on, let's stand together all over the house. You are going to be what God has created you to be. And you're going to do it 
And everyone that fought you, and everyone that opposed you, and everyone that tried to resist you is going to have to stand back and say, surely this was the result of the one true God. He is great. Come on, does anybody want to see Jesus glorified? Does anyone want to see our great God receive more praise? Come on, let's love him together. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit clcaustin.com. And for more information about Pastor Bentley, please visit thehpchurch.com.